0: Um, this past year, COVID, didn't it seem like every routine you had, you you had every priority, everything had to be reevaluated. I mean, like over the past year, nothing was left untouched. Everything had to be reconsidered. And what, you know, as I was thinking about Jesus's words for today, it was like, um, I started thinking about, other times in our life where that happens, where we have to reprioritize, reprioritize, reprioritize wow, that's a hard word to say, uh, everything. Um, that time in your life where everything becomes unsettled. And COVID made that happen to everybody around the whole world at the same time, which is why it was, it's just so bad. It's so big, it causes so many problems. But we all go through this several times in our life, those natural changes that happen. Um, Puberty, Lord, am I glad I don't ever have to go through that again. Awful time. Graduating from wherever, high school, college, graduate school, whatever. Everything changed at that point. Um, Moving out of the house, moving out of my parents' home. Entering the workforce, everything changed again. Everything was different. Getting married, everything was different. I mean, I didn't know that the way I brushed my teeth was so bad all my life. Learned real quick. Are we good? Okay. Um, having kids. I sh- we had a busy week. I didn't run anything by Ray Lent at this to so, so pray for me. Um, having kids changed everything more than I could have ever imagined. I thought... I knew. I remember being a youth pastor, telling people how to raise their teenagers before I had a kid. And I was so, I was so smart. I mean, I would look at these parents and go, how do you not know this? It's so obvious. And then I had kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're crazy. And um, I have, I've since, you know, I'm so much humbler. Um, there are these huge transitions in our life that they demand us change. They demand us reevaluate and, and reprioritize everything. When I was a, a young youth pastor, I remember, um, you know, I, I was that young youth pastor. I was spending time with the kids all the time. We'd play video games together. We'd go out and get Cokes at McDonald's. We didn't do coffee because it wasn't cool yet. Now it's cool and it's $5. We were getting 99 cent Cokes at the time. But we did. We played video games and watched movies all the time. And I, I, was, I was gathering several students together all the time, mentoring them and discipling them. And it was just, we were part of their lives. Ray Lynn and me had kids in our home all the time. I read a lot of books personally. I played a lot of racquetball. My life was pretty full. And then when I was around 30 years old, uh, we adopted our, our daughter Renee. Literally within the same month or two or something like that, Allie was born. And our life changed so dramatically. A year later, when Allie was like one, one and a half years old, we teamed up with another couple to plant a church. In a very, very short amount of time, my life looked incredibly different. I couldn't do all the things that I used to do. Not not if I wanted to be a good dad and a good husband and a good church planter. Um, and with, with I, I wrote it down really nice. I, I actually, I highlighted it. And with Raylan's insistence, if you know what I mean, I learned how to, that I had to dump some things. I began asking the question, what do I really want? Do I want to be temporarily entertained like I had been so often? Or do I want things that last? Do I want a healthy family? Do, do I want a healthy soul? Do, do I want to help start this church for, for broken people where they can discover God? And there was only one thing that was certain to me. I couldn't have both. I couldn't have my life being entertained all the time and be a good dad, husband, and start this, this new church. We're in a ser- sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount, Today's passage asks us to consider something. What is most important to us? Such a huge question. Today is full. I am going to try to be concise because Jesus says a lot of things in a very small number of verses. But what is most important to us? That's what he's asking. How much of our lives are exhausted by what other people think about us? I mean, think about it. How much money have we spent in our lives? Not corporately, I'm talking about like individually. Think about your life and your family. How much money have we spent trying to impress people who don't care about us throughout our lives? And think about the the amount of debt we have incurred in our lives buying things because we really just, we wanted to be those kind of people. We have so many regrets, I have a feeling, just because we wanted to fit in. And how often do we fake it? Do we act like somebody that we're not, projecting this image that we have it all together when really we're all just a mess and we're scared to be exposed? <clears throat> I had a, uh, when I was a youth pastor in, in those early days, um, my pastor, his son was part of our youth group. I asked him this one time. I mean, we were, we were friends. He was a really cool kid. And I asked him if he'd seen some popular movie that was out at the time. And he was like, man, we, I, I did. I saw it with my dad, the pastor. And uh, we saw it together. We loved it. And then he, I, I remember his face because he went, oh, hey, you can't tell anybody that we saw that movie. My dad said nobody can know because they're gonna, people will just judge us. And I was like, at that time, I remember that moment going, man, pastors, we can be experts at living a double life. We can be experts at at hiding what is true in our home from you so that you think we're way better than what we are. And let me just tell you something. You can ask my kid, it'll mess up your family when you live that way. It messes up your family and your heart and your soul when you're trying to be somebody on the outside that you're not on the inside my family, we talk about this a lot because um, it, this is a temptation that we, that we have to reject often trying to portray an image that, that we're not because it's easy being fake. It's easier sometimes being fake. The problem is it just destroys you. It destroys you. It's not what God desires. And that's where we're going to jump in. We're going to jump in. at. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to be th- uh, all the way through 24 today. Let me, let me read um, Matthew six sixteen. And when you fast, Jesus is talking to all of these people, all these Jewish first century people, religious people. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, being admired for their fasting, that is the only reward they will ever get. You know, I mean, in the first century, fasting was pretty common. It was a normal part of the disciplined spiritual life. Fasting had always been supposed to be a response to suffering. It it was a response of sorrow for our sin. Those were the reasons that people would fast, But like so many religious practices then and now, the true intent was hijacked. The religious people, they wanted others to know just how godly and holy and disciplined they were, especially compared to the rest of you all who didn't measure up to our standards. You know what I mean? That holier-than-thou attitude. So when they were fasting, and it's really interesting, as I was studying, I was like... uh, Mondays and Thursdays literally were the two days a week that, that people would fast. And they would fast from, you know, Wednesday night or, uh, you know, Sunday night till Monday night. And so they'd eat dinner Sunday night. They'd fast two meals and then they'd have dinner the next night every Monday, every Thursday. So, uh, you know, for those of you intermittent fasting anyway, just for health reasons, you know, it's kind of a pain, but it's, I mean, it's, you're not like being a hero or anything, right? You know, you're just fasting a little bit, but they would they would mess up their hair or they wouldn't, you know, I don't know if they had brushes. I didn't study that much, I guess. But, you know, they would not take care of their hair. They would put ashes on their face. This was common. And they would just want to make sure that you know that I'm fasting today. Every Monday, every Thursday. And I can imagine, I'm not saying he did this, but I imagine Jesus rolling his eyes and saying, stop it. Stop it. Don't act so gloomy. Don't act so phony. Just stop being fake. Stop wearing the mask like the actors wear in a Greek play. That's the actual word hypocrite. It wasn't a negative word. It just meant actors who wear a mask, people who pretend to be somebody that they're not. That's the definition of a hypocrite. He's like, don't be a hypocrite in real life. Don't wear a mask. In verse 17, he says, instead, when you fast, comb your hair. "'Wash your face,' verse 18, "'then nobody will know that you're fasting "'except your Father, who knows everything you do. "'He knows what you do in private. "'And your Father, who sees everything, "'He'll reward you.'" I mean, I just laugh. Jesus is like, stop it. Take a bath for crying out loud. Use some product on your hair and beard. You know, for them, it was olive oil. For us, it might be some blue gel. I don't know what it is, but whatever. Whatever. Worship is not a display. You don't flaunt your religious practices trying to show everybody how spiritual you are. And we see it today all the time. You know, there are people who just lift their hands in worship just to gain attention. People praying with just really big spiritual words, dressing up at church. None of these things are bad. Jesus was always about heart, though, wasn't he? It's never about what you do. It's always about why you do it. You want to dress up at church because you want to honor God? Do that. You dress up at church because you want to make sure everybody knows how good you are? Please, don't. Jesus is getting, I mean, he is really, these people are not happy. But he's like, publicizing how much you love God, it's wrong. Stop using your relationship with God To bring attention to you. It's not about you. That's what he's saying. It's, It's not about me, that's for sure. We are in his story, right? Jesus is the hero of the story, not us. So if I'm, as a pastor, getting everybody to look at me, and I'm not pointing to him, I am missing the boat completely. Fasting is a good practice. It is. So is expressive worship. so is praying out loud. These things are beautiful things when they're for God, but when they're for personal glory, God's just not interested. But as long as I've been alive and throughout history, that's always been the temptation of religious people, hasn't it? To I mean, I have a feeling our hearts are right at first, but over time, let me just tell you, let's just be real. I lost an hour of sleep last night, just like all of you. But I woke up at 4.45 this morning, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And then it dawned on me it was actually 3.45 in the morning. So I was sitting over there in worship this morning, kind of feeling empty, kind of feeling tired. And so as we were singing, it was so funny because I went, what are you doing? Raise your hand today. You do- that, that is not why I was doing it out of habit. I didn't really, wasn't impressing, it was, I, that is not why I, Jesus, the whole time we were singing, Jesus, fill this empty vessel, I'm empty this morning, I'm tired this morning, it has been a long week, we have had so much prep this week, because literally, half the staff is on vacation this week, and so just to cover everybody's bases, we wanted, we had, it was just a busy week, Lord, I'm empty today, fill me. So much more honest than, oh, Jesus, just want to praise your name when the reality is just I want to make sure everybody in here knows that I'm spiritually okay. You know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm a mess sometimes. I don't want anybody to think that I actually come to church sometimes and I'm just empty. Or sometimes I'm still repenting of sin that I did th- this week and I'm like yelled at my wife or my kids or just did something really stupid and I'm coming in on a Sunday morning going, God, I am not worthy to be in this room, let alone be a pastor who's leading people, it happens. And, and people like Mike and myself and anybody who's in, on stage, we know this. And so you put on the smiley face sometimes, but the reality is, I don't want to fake it with you. I want to be real, but at the same time, I don't want to depress you every week. So you're like, what do I do, Lord? It's a struggle. It really is. But that is the temptation, I think, of religious people all the time. Use these spiritual practices that were intended for good, to slow us down, to center us. And we actually use those practices to say, hey, I want to make sure all of you know I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. There's this verse in Isaiah 58, a uh, couple verses too, uh, centuries before Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Religious people are upset because their nation is about to be attacked, they're scared. They're praying like crazy, they're fasting like crazy, and they're angry and upset with God because he's not helping them, he's not showing up anywhere. And they're like, we're fasting, you don't even notice. This is what God tells them, verse three, Isaiah 58, three. I'll tell you why I don't notice, God says. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you're oppressing your workers. Verse four. Let me tell you what good fasting is. It's when you keep on, oh no, that's not what he says. Sorry, that's the next verse. What good is fasting when you're fighting and you're quarreling with one another? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. And then God lists all these things that he liked. This is what fasting is like. Standing up for the weak and oppressed, sharing your possessions with others, being unselfish, seeking peace and unity even when your neighbor doesn't want it. Living as light in the world. He goes over and over all these different things. And then he tells them, when you live for my kingdom, when you bless other people in my name, verse 9, then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. See, that is our role in the story. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We respond to the love of our heavenly daddy. And then we bless the world as an extension of his love. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Loving God. Loving people the way Jesus loved us. See, motive matters to Jesus. It's so important to check our motives. Especially, like we said, those of us on stage. It's already happened today. It's so funny when it happened. I was like, Dad dadgummit, Don, you're going to talk about this just a minute. And everybody's going to think about that moment. So I'm just going to let you know. Think about the moment because I'm telling you, I thought of the moment too. But I like to make people laugh. I do. And I sometimes see quirky things that other people don't see. And often I hold back and don't mention them because I know how inappropriate they are in that moment. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just think it's really funny, and sometimes I say it, and it's a win. And sometimes I say it, and it completely destroys the mood that we were going for in the room. I am aware of that. I think humor tears down walls. I think humor puts people at ease. I think humor is a good teaching mechanism. It's just fun to laugh. But I have to check myself because I have to ask, why did I tell that story? What was I going for? Was I just trying to get a laugh so that you think I'm funny? Or was I trying to get a laugh so that you would open your mind and your heart up and maybe hear something from God that you hadn't before? Why did I point out that quirky detail? Maybe I'm uncomfortable. Maybe it's it's a defense mechanism sometimes. Sometimes maybe I'm looking for praise. Sometimes I fail and I make it about me. And I want you to know that I have a wonderful staff and I have a wonderful bride who call me on this stuff. Sometimes in staff meeting, Pastor Jim drives me crazy because he'll say, "Um, I thought you'd do, you know, and I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. And I appreciate him so much. Love you, Pastor Jim. Thank you. Keep doing it quietly. Um, Right? Because I don't want to be exposed all the time. But it's, so I'm sharing about me, but it's you too. Those of you who are teachers, I know you're not here, you're on spring break. I get that, didn't think that through when I used this illustration, but teachers, what's going on in you with that frustrated student? Why do you teach some, you know, because you got into teaching for one reason, but then after a couple of years, you're kind of like, you're in a different place, Right? And sometimes we forget to go into the classroom saying, Jesus, how do you want to use me today? Jesus, what do you want to do in me today? Jesus, what student do you want me to see with your eyes so that I can be your hands and feet in their life? Maybe you're in sales. Do you believe in your product? When you you try to sell it, are you offering a win win? Are you protecting the client? Are you representing Jesus in how you talk, how you conduct business? See, when we're on a stage or when we're on a platform, it can be all about me and what I want and what I'm trying to sell, but the reality is wrong. It's not about me. The focus should never be on me, a Jesus follower. The focus should be, if you're looking at me, it's because I'm pointing to him. That's the definition of a witness. A witness is somebody says, oh no, not me, him. You know, it's over there, him, over there. It's what God's doing. This is for all of us. You know, does, does who we are on, on Saturday night or Monday morning match who we claim to be on Sunday morning? Or are we just faking it? Pretending we have it all together? Or seeking recognition? Because God's not interested in that and that's what religious people have been doing forever and Jesus is calling us on it. Because it doesn't last. When it's all about me, it dies with me. It doesn't go on. It doesn't bring life to anybody. It doesn't even bring life to me. If I get you to laugh and you just think I'm so funny, it doesn't, I mean, really, it doesn't benefit me in the long run at all. In fact, it, it, it destroys the ministry because the ministry is his, not mine, right? But what, what we do, what if what we do and what, and what we pursue, what if, if our reasons why are to bless Jesus? And we're seeking to bless those around us. I mean, when, when we empty ourselves and say, Jesus, you fill me, we're filled with transforming life, right? I mean, when Jesus starts to change the way we see, he starts to change our heart, all of a sudden we see life in a new way. We see transformation. And as a pastor, throughout my life, I've seen it over and over, where a marriage that looked impossible to heal found healing in Jesus Christ. I I have seen relationships between fathers and sons mended, who you said that could never happen. That dad had, had gone too far in his life. But in Jesus, those were mended. I've seen wounds forgiven. I've seen people find freedom from addiction. I've seen over and over in my life, people experience salvation and freedom because they found Jesus and, what, and, and and they just said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. We, we have this choice between two kingdoms, our kingdom or his kingdom. And, and Jesus, that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about and he offers three quick examples that I'm gonna share with you about what it looks like to choose every day. I did not become a Christian 30 years ago, and then I was done with that, and now, I, no, every day I say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord, because it's hard, and I constantly am tempted by my own kingdom. And Jesus says, so what does the choice look like? Verse 19, he says, one, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. No, store up your treasures in heaven, he says, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is not talking about when we die compared to now. He's talking about things that last, things that are earthly, things that are about my kingdom, or things that are about his kingdom. What Jesus wants to do, what God wants to do, what the Father is wanting to do in the world. That's what he's, ta- it's what he's been talking about this entire uh, sermon series, and I've explained that a little bit. Many times, and so you can hear that in others. And if you have a question about that, let's talk. Email me or text me. But Jesus here is talking about the American dream. He's talking about getting more, acquiring more, experiencing more, having more, meeting more people, getting in a different relationship, getting in a better relationship, finally having kids, um, finally having your kids move on into college and stuff. I mean, getting a dog. You think about all of the getting the best car, the house, the house. The, the promotion. I mean, all of the things we seek. Everybody seeks different things. Some people even seek a cat. Don't understand that. But whatever it is, we're all messed up, right? We're all, we're all broken. And um, But whatever it is, we want more. We want more. We want more. It's the American dream. Working more hours so that we can earn a better job to buy a nicer whatever so that we can enjoy more status and happiness. And it never fulfills. It's a lie. It's just... Stuff isn't bad, it's great. It's just temporary. Houses and cars and degrees and jobs and relationships, they're good, they're good things. They just make really lousy gods. Pursuing stuff always leaves you unsatisfied. And not only that, we miss God's will, his, his kingdom. We miss what he wants for our lives in the process. And I know a lot of people in the world don't believe what I'm about to say, and I don't care, that's fine. Believe whatever you want. But I am so convinced this is true. Every human being on earth was designed to know God designed for life in his kingdom. How do I know that? Because we watch movies and we read Facebook posts that touch our heart and you're like, oh, I wish life was like that sometimes. Why? Because people are painting beautiful pictures so often of the kingdom and we go, oh, I love that. Jesus is saying his picture, the one that, Jesus, uh, that he keeps painting of, of the Father's kingdom is this picture of sacrifice and love. I mean, beautiful things. And we miss those when all all we're doing is pursuing stuff. And Jesus is like, don't fall for the lie, it's a lie. Seek what lasts, seek treasures that fill you up, treasures that bring blessing to others and reveal what God's kingdom is like. God's kingdom should shape how we live. He just told us that last week, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. That's why I challenge you to pray that prayer every day in March. Because when we focus on the earthly kingdom, we're focusing on what's temporary, things that that don't fill us up. But when we focus on kingdom things, heavenly things, things that God cares about most, loving him and loving people, caring for creation and the health of our own soul, those are the things that last for forever. Those are the things that even when you die on this earth, Those things continue on in your children or in the people you've mentored or in the churches that you have given to or whatever. Those are the things that last. So God is inviting us to slow down and enjoy life together. Blessing others and growing together to be more like Jesus. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, he ends this section, the desires of your heart will also be. Man, that's true. What you focus on, you desire. Now, Jesus' second uh, example is kind of tough to understand because he's really talking about a concept that was very, very understandable and popular back in his day. Verse 22, um, he says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is, I realize you go, I don't know what he's talking about there. That's fair because I didn't know either when I started this, but it's, it's a really basic understanding that you can see. Jesus' understanding and the first century understanding is that what you see is a reflection of your heart. That if you have a good, pure heart, good is seen everywhere. Like you see beauty in the ordinary things of life. You, you see needs and you see, you see them because you want to meet those needs that a good heart changes the way you see the world. But if your heart is, is self-centered and evil, everything you see has an evil bent to it. Beauty is missed for how something can be exploited instead. Weaknesses are sought not so that you can meet needs, but so that you can manipulate them and get what you want. The way your heart is, is the way you see the world. Man, I think we all can see that so many different illustrations in our life where, you know, if you're in a good mood, it's amazing how many good things are out there. But even if you're in a bad mood, how everything just seems so depressing. It's like our lives are like that so much, but from a good evil extreme, it's really strong. And Jesus is saying that, that if you want to see as God sees, if you want to live as God lives and designed you to live, you need a change of heart. And I have good news for you. God's in the heart-changing business. That's what he does. And that's the meaning of your kingdom come, your will be done. That's why we pray it. Father, give us your heart. Give Give us the way you see the world. Give us the things, help us love the things that you love. And what we see in Jesus is that God loves people. Broken, messed up, rude, mean people. Because he sees people he wants to heal, restore, redeem, transform, and bring them into the family. And that's every single one of us. Amen? We, as we experience healing in Jesus' name, he restores us so that we can go and restore. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. We, as a follower of Jesus, should never exploit another human being. We are to love people and serve people and protect people and die for them if necessary, because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus did. Which leads to the final example, and this is the last verse. <clears throat> verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will, and you will be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. I appreciate this because I think money, for those of you Lord of the Rings fan, I think money is like Gollum's ring. Money wants to be a God. It does. Money, it's like it desires. I know money does. Money desires. It looks, it's like there's something in us that, that is so easy to make money God. And Jesus desires us to see money for exactly what it is. It's just a tool. It's just a means to an end. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money that's evil because money's a good thing. It's a resource. It can be used to help Or it can be used to hurt. It can be used to build up. And it can be used to tear down. What we love determines how we use our money. Which is why Jesus keeps talking about making sure our heart is God's heart. Because a generous heart leads to financial generosity. A self-centered and greedy heart always seeks more and more and more. And it's never satisfied. And you've heard it. Some rich guy sometimes said, you know, how much money is enough? And he said, a dollar more. It's always a dollar more. Because there's never enough. I have no desire, online, in the room, whoever, I have no desire to ever guilt anybody into giving to Avalon Church. Because our mission is not our mission. Our mission is God's mission. We've just said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. But we're his family. We are sent to be God's tangible presence in Avalon Park and beyond. Amen? That is who we are called to love. We are called to help people discover God, discover Jesus' love, to choose and help them and, and to follow Jesus and walk with them in that journey, and then grow more and more like Jesus together. That is the, I mean, summed up the whole mission of every church in the world, to help people find Jesus and to grow to be more like him together. That's it. Go and grow together. Now, our generosity in this building leads to blessing people and reaching them and growing them in Jesus. Remarkable generosity leads to remarkable ministry. Mundane generosity leads to mundane ministry and usually just ends up a church trying to survive. But I know this church. Our desire is not to survive. We want to help people find Jesus. We don't want to, we just, we don't want to be 20 years from now just going, but we still have our building. <laughs> we still have our services. So what? What I want to say is, how many countless lives have been transformed by the power of Jesus because of us? So, uh, um, a few years ago, a pastor named Tim Keller, he tweeted this. This is just awesome. An idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. That's money. If I've ever seen an idol, that's money. We, we take something good and we make it ultimate. I mean, think about money pays for our houses that we live in, our cars and our groceries. Money is putting my kid through college Money feeds homeless people, and it funds every single ministry of our church. It's a wonderful tool, but just like we said earlier, it makes a terrible God. So let's close this beast. Let's close this message. Uh, Worship team, I want to invite you to come up here. Because I I want us as a congregation, everybody listening online and in the room, I want want you to think about this as we close. Jesus' desire for us is not to just be a bunch of well-behaved people. Jesus' desire for us is life, abundant life. That's what we were designed for. But see, it's our choice. Our behavior often does things that destroy life. Ours, sometimes it just destroys other people's lives. And so good behavior is not the goal. Life is the goal. God's not ever going to force us to follow Jesus, and he's not going to take away our freedom. So here's the question I want you to end with. Would you do me a favor? Hold your hands out and, and, and clench them in a fist. Is this how you live your life? Clenched fists. My stuff is what I've earned. It's my money. I sacrifice to get my education, to get the job that I have. It's mine. I'm going to do what I want, and that pastor dude's not going to make me feel guilty at all. It's mine. Or, and I want you to open your hands and feel the freedom of not clenching. Do you live this way, with open hands, saying, God, everything I have has been given to me by you. Everything I have is yours. Anything that I've done to earn what I have is because you gave me the gifts, the talents, the tools to be able to do that. It's yours. I open my hands to you. It's all yours. What do you, not what does Don want me to do, not just what does the church want me to do. Jesus, what do you want me to do? This is your stuff. I follow you. I think when we do that, when we live that way, it changes everything about our lives. It changes everything about how we experience life I think open hands is the key to transformation. It's humility. It's saying, God, you're the boss, I'm not. It's your story, not mine. I would rather be a participation in the epic story of God than be the star in my own little infomercial. God, I wanna be yours. You can't serve two masters. So that's the question. Are you serving something else? Or are you serving Jesus? Are you holding on to stuff with, you know, whatever, with clenched fists? Or are you saying, no, everything's yours. My relationships, my stuff, my goals, my dreams. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we are so blessed that you've pursued us, that even when we've chosen life our own way, You keep calling us back. You keep chasing us to say and inviting us back into your family, inviting us back into your kingdom, into your way. And so Lord, I pray, we just by being born human beings are born with clenched fists. But we've seen a better way now. We've seen your way. Many in this room, many listening online, we've tasted your way. And it tastes so sweet. So Jesus, help us learn to live unclenched fists, with unclenched fists, with open hands. Jesus, help us to just say yes to you because every time, and we are so drawn to clenching those fists, but every time we do, it's like we're robbing ourselves of life. We're living in the temporary. So we pray, your kingdom come. We pray your will be done on earth, in our lives, in our will. Exactly as it is in heaven. Exactly as it is in your life, in your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand up with me? And let's just kind of reiterate that prayer through this song of worship. Josh. Yeah! No! For, for whether you're online or in the room, you know, our goal is not to just have a service, but our goal is to help people follow Jesus and say yes. and so um, one of the ways that you can do that, you know, I'll be at the welcome desk after after the service. Um, a lot of us are you know are going to be in the camp meeting, so um, but so you can talk to me if you'd like right after. This week most of our staff's on vacation and I would encourage you to email or text. That's probably the best way to get a hold of us this week. But maybe you want to talk. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you just want some uh, advice or you just want to, you just want to share. Um, I would encourage you to text me. Would you put the text? up? Oh, there it is. Good. Um, if you text pastor to that number, 407-559-8210, it comes directly to me. But I'll give you a secret. All texts come directly to me. But if you say pastor, I know that that is one I'm gonna call you back immediately and or at least within, you know, 24 hours if, because I don't always get them on Sunday afternoons. But I will look today. I just wanna make sure you know that you're not alone, that we're walking this journey together. You know, if you wanna give or you wanna just be added to our mailing list and those kinds of things, you can text word give or new. But um, even this week, if you have a question and you just text it, I'll get it. And I can just forward it to the right person if you, have, if you need anything. Fair enough. Um, I promised Lisa that I would share uh, about a family game night that we have coming up because it's just such a crazy time. And you might want to mark it down on March 26th. I think that's a Friday night. Is that correct? Yes. Friday night and uh, from 6 to 9 p.m. For those of you who like to play like, you know, kickball, we got it. For those of you who like to play board games. We got it. It's all these different kinds of games just to hang out with families and you don't have to have kids or adults to come. Just anybody, it's for everybody. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that we're able to meet together. Thank you that we have the freedom, but not only that, that we have this family. I love this family. I pray, God, lead us help us to be a people who truly say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. That is the desire of our heart. In your name we pray. Amen. You have a beautiful day, beautiful week, and I hope to see you in the camp meeting. Bye.